Chapter Four of Jane Austen and Her Country House Comedy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jane Austen and Her Country House Comedy by William Henry Helm. Chapter Four Ethics and Optimism. Dr. Waitley on Jane Austen. Moral Lessons of Her Novels charge of indelicacy marriage as a profession a problem novel the nostalgia of the infinite the whitewashing of willoughby lady susan condemned by its author the watsons change in manners no heroes woman's love the prince regent the quarterly review the moral lessons of this lady's novels wrote archbishop waitley in his quarterly article of eighteen twenty one though clearly and impressively conveyed are not offensively put forward but spring incidentally from the circumstances of the story so inoffensively indeed are they offered to our notice that dr waitley himself seems to have been unable to discover them at all on the whole writes the archbishop miss austen's works may safely be recommended not only as among the most unexceptionable of their class but as combining in an eminent degree instruction with amusement though without the direct effort at the former of which we have complained as sometimes defeating its object the most obvious moral of jane austen's novels is that if you are a heroine you need not trouble yourself about your future you are certain to marry a worthy man with an income sufficient for a comfortable existence he may be endowed with something less than a thousand a year like edward ferrars with a couple of thousand like captain wentworth or with the ten thousand a year which made darcy appear so admirable to mrs bennet in any case you will not have to eat bread and scrape or go without a fire in your bedroom the country-house comedy of jane austen is full of morals if you are in need of them but it was not written to improve you only to amuse you and its maker if you must have a clear moral for each story after the manner of tracts you may take them thus pride and prejudice conveys the useful lesson that the person you most dislike in one month may be the one you will very sensibly give your affection to in the next sense and sensibility that when the bad man falls into the pit he has dug for himself the good man comes by his own emma that the man whose society is most necessary to a woman's quiet contentment is the man she ought to marry mansfield park that a simple unaffected girl who gains the second place in a man's affections may win the prize through the disqualification of her more brilliant rival persuasion that nothing is more likely to revive an old passion than to see its object warmly admired by some other eligible party northanger abbey that a tuft hunting father may be induced to receive a daughter-in-law of no importance by the kindly influence of a son-in-law of superior rank as for lady susan the moral of that unpleasing story is that if a worldly mater pulchra is the rival in love of an ingenuous filia pulchriar she will probably lose the battle after much suffering on either side and from the watsons we may see that if a girl is educated above her family she will find it hard to be happy beside the domestic hearth all these are plain workable morals 
whether the author of the novels would have endorsed them we cannot certainly know but it is more than probable she would not we need not suppose that jane austen was ignorant of the coarseness of conversation the hard drinking the wild gambling the moral laxity of a large section of society that are so frequently exhibited in the records of the age in spite of the improvement in manners but we can hardly help laughing at the objection taken to her novels even by some of her contemporaries that they were indelicate the indelicacy was usually found in the views of marriage held and expressed by the heroines and their families the love affairs of these country maidens were not often we must admit such as to steal away their beauty sleep or spoil their appetites for breakfast mrs jennings kindly endeavoured to cure a girl's disappointment in love by a variety of sweetmeats and olives and a good fire was perhaps not wholly unjustified by experience in those days when no profession save that of governess was open to women when nursing the sick was regarded as an occupation specially suitable for those of a low class when no door opened from the drawing-room on to the professional stage and when the very idea of a female as secretary to a man of affairs or of business would have been condemned as improper marriage was undoubtedly viewed by most people as the only aim of a young woman the pleasantest preservative from want as charlotte lucas regarded it and moreover the average age of brides was much lower than it is nowadays to avoid being a governess by attracting the admiration of a man who could afford a wife was the hope at least of most poorly endowed girls and even if matrimony is not viewed with so much sentiment and reserve by jane austen's heroines as by the excessively squeamish evelina we may be inclined to prefer the indelicacy of jane austen to the elaborate delicacy of fanny burney scott himself by an ingenious paradox has been accused as a novelist of immorality and quentin durward in particular has been described as one of the most immoral novels that has ever been written because its romance expresses nothing the interest a boy takes in its romantic passages depends on the fact that he dreams himself to be in similar circumstances he must treat the novel subjectively and it is the subjective use of the imagination which does all the damage it is in reading such books as this that a bad habit of mind is begun and quentin durward is more immoral for a boy of fourteen than a translation of the most shockingly indecent french novel well may the anonymous writer of this unexpected criticism add there are paradoxes to be met everywhere and most of all in the question of morality this particular kind of immorality has not yet so far as i know been charged against jane austen she cannot be justly accused of writing romance which expresses nothing but she certainly leaves plenty of opportunity for young readers to exercise their imaginations and thus begin a bad habit of mind the view of marriage as a profession with or without ardent affection is not the only thing that has shocked the delicacy of many of jane austen's readers serious objection has been taken to her introduction of episodes of an improper nature how is the charge supported lydia bennett a vulgar badly brought up girl still in her teens infatuated with the red coats of the militia officers 
insists on going away with wickham and lives with him as his mistress until by the generous aid of darcy and the determination of the gardeners her uncle and aunt a marriage is arranged and does shortly take place this episode say the stern critics was one unnecessary to the plot and two if it was necessary it is too much insisted on and developed that it is an essential part of the little plot worked in to exhibit the best side of darcy's character which before has only been seen in its least attractive light seems to me obvious and i agree with professor saintsbury's opinion that it brings about the denouement with complete propriety lydia's entire indifference to the moral aspect of her conduct is and was unusual in a girl of sixteen and of her class but her character from first to last is consistently drawn and the contrast between the selfishness of wickham and lydia who care nothing for anyone's happiness except their own and not even for each other's and the sympathy of heart and variety of temperament which bring elizabeth and darcy together is admirably drawn then we are asked to be shocked at the illustration of the bad character and selfish cruelty of willoughby given to eleanor dashwood by the very worthy and very dull colonel brandon in sense and sensibility it is a painful story willoughby the faithless lover of marianne dashwood had seduced an impressionable girl whom brandon out of affection for the memory of her mother herself ruined by a scoundrel had practically adopted and whom such scandal-mongers as mrs jennings declared to be the colonel's own child why drag in this nasty story asked the objectors and above all why allow the colonel to pour it into the ears of a young girl like eleanor that it comes unfortunately from brandon who is a rival hopeless as it had seemed of willoughby for marianne's affection and that in the middle-class society of to-day a well-bred man would not tell such a tale to a girl if he could find any other means of achieving an imperative object is undeniable what was brandon to do he knew that marianne was pining for love of a man at least as unworthy of her as in his worst days was tom jones of sophia and he believed with or without reason that the knowledge of willoughby's character would be a bitter but efficacious medicine for her heart-sickness eleanor the sensible prudent devoted sister seemed the only person to whom he could tell the story with any hope that it would be discreetly used he had spent many hours in convincing himself that he was right and when eleanor said i understand you you have something to tell me of mr willoughby that will open his character farther your telling it will be the greatest act of friendship that can be shown to marianne my gratitude will be ensured immediately by any information tending to that end and hers must be gained by it in time pray pray let me hear it there is little reason for wonder that upon this hint he spake and told the story of the moral ruin of the mother and the cruel desertion of the daughter which the reader of sense and sensibility will recall eleanor lost little time in retailing it to her sister with the immediate and apparently unexpected effect of increasing the girl's unhappiness she felt the loss of willoughby's character yet more heavily than she had felt the loss of his heart though we know that she soon afterwards became as fond a wife of colonel brandon as she ever could have been of willoughby 
far more remarkable i think than brandon's telling eleanor the miserable story of his sister-in-law and her daughter is the manner in which eleanor herself receives willoughby's attempt to excuse his conduct he admits his treatment of miss williams but asks how eleanor could think colonel brandon an impartial reporter of the affair and proceeds to offer his own excuse in the words that follow i do not mean to justify myself but at the same time cannot leave you to suppose that i have nothing to urge that because she was injured she was irreproachable and because i was a libertine she must be a saint if the violence of her passion the weakness of her understanding i do not mean however to defend myself her affection for me deserved better treatment and i often with great self-reproach recall the tenderness which for a very short time had the power of creating any return i wish i heartily wish it had never been but i have injured more than herself and i have injured one whose affection for me may i say it was scarcely less warm than hers and whose mind oh how infinitely superior in other words the inexperienced child was of weak understanding and loved him passionately and therefore he was not so much to blame as if she had been less warm in her affection and stronger in her intelligence surely the reasoning should have been reversed yet after this fine oration eleanor pities him and when he goes on to disparage his wife whom he has married for her fortune and to express his continued love for marianne all that eleanor says is you are very wrong mr willoughby very blamable you ought not to speak in this way either of mrs willoughby or my sister and in saying this her voice in spite of itself betrayed her compassionate emotion when he left her eleanor assured him that she thought better of him than she had done that she forgave pitied him wished him well was even interested in his happiness and added some gentle counsel as to the behaviour most likely to promote it counsel which he showed little disposition to take this tolerance by eleanor for a man who on his own admission had taken advantage of a simple young girl ignorant in the world's ways this readiness to allow extenuating circumstances to a mercenary breaker of reputations and hearts is a far more serious fact than the mere introduction of a story which does fit quite easily into the plan of the novel eleanor's reflections when willoughby had ended his apologies sufficiently show that the point of view suggested in the duologue between the sinner and the sister was deliberately set up by the author she made no answer her thoughts were silently fixed on the irreparable injury which too early in independence and its consequent habits of idleness dissipation and luxury had made in the mind the character the happiness of a man who to every advantage of person and talents united a disposition naturally open and honest and a feeling affectionate temper the world had made him extravagant and vain extravagance and vanity had made him cold-hearted and selfish vanity while seeking its own guilty triumph at the expense of another had involved him in a real attachment which extravagance or at least its offspring necessity had required to be sacrificed each faulty propensity in leading him to evil had led him likewise to punishment 
the attachment from which against honour against feeling against every better interest he had outwardly torn himself now when no longer allowable governed every thought and the connection for the sake of which he had with little scruple left her sister to misery was likely to prove a source of unhappiness to himself of a far more incurable nature the chapter describing this interview between willoughby and eleanor is the only one in all the novels of jane austen wherein a problem after the kind dear to the dramatist of to-day and the novelists of yesterday is fully presented and considered the heroines with this exception answering to mr andrew lang's description being ignorant of evil as it seems and unacquainted with vain yearnings and interesting doubts eleanor only as we find her on this occasion is a pioneer of that school of sociology which whitewashes the individual at the expense of his early environment and education her defence of this wretched man is in principle that which an old bailey advocate offers when he cites the theories of lombroso in favour of a beetle-browed criminal who has stuck his knife into the breast of some confiding woman it was the world that made him what he was he was to be pitied not condemned though we have not to consider here whether eleanor and the advocate are right or wrong it is hard to avoid the thought that when she wrote this remarkable chapter jane austen was influenced in a degree quite unusual in that age with people of her class by the sense of futility which not long before her day had been the motive of candide voltaire's irony is bitter in spite of the optimism which his book preaches and of the essential kindness of his nature while jane austen's is as sweet as irony can ever be that she was intentionally ironical in this case of eleanor's tolerance is scarcely possible only a cynic would treat a pure-minded maiden's apology for a heartless seducer as a subject for covert satire and jane was not a cynic writing of maria edgeworth in his notes for a diary sir m e grant duff says in her as in miss austen there is something wanting is it what has been called the nostalgie d'infini that intellectual ailment is more common nowadays than it was in the eighteenth century and there was little of it in the grey matter of any country brains when jane was born certainly it cannot be diagnosed from her work generally only in the particular case of eleanor and willoughby does that idea of the helplessness of man in the maelstrom of infinity which has paralyzed the wills of so many unhappy victims and induced the devastating literature of determinism seem to have entered into her plan of work for only thus can i account for the moral whitewashing of willoughby not by a man of the world with his after all and his human nature arguments but by a country ingenue the more i read jane austen's writings the stronger grows my conviction that she was one of those fortunate beings whose optimism is differentiated from pessimism by the good offices of an excellent digestion and an even pulse we need not suppose that she thought much about the philosophical sanction of conduct as opposed to the purely religious or that she had studied the french encyclopedia she was born and brought up in an atmosphere wherein convention in regard to the things that matter was almost omnipotent 
and she was not of the type whereof iconoclasts are made she attacked no system social or religious but she had no fondness for isms and thus it is that dogmatism is quite as hard to discover in her writings as scepticism it has already been said that jane austen was not a cynic yet it would be easy by making lady susan one's text and ignoring the rest of her writings to show that she was as cynical as a swift or an anatole france of course i do not mean that her apparent cynicism in this case was exercised on the kind of subjects which is ridiculed in the tale of a tub or in l'ile du pinguin but i know nothing in its way more cold-blooded in the presentation of love than the conclusion of that novel of jane springtime which she herself her own wise critic withheld from publication the rivalry of mother and daughter for the affections of the same man must always be an unpleasant subject and the story of the conflict between lady susan vernon and her daughter for the matrimonial prize represented by reginald de courcy as told in letters among the characters concerned is on a low plane the morals of the heroine may not be suspect but her tone is below suspicion what is the denouement of lady susan the mother's schemes to marry the man of her daughter's choice have ended in her own marriage to the wealthy noodle whom she had tried to force upon the daughter frederica says the author dropping the correspondence plan in order to wind up the book more readily was therefore fixed in the family of her uncle and aunt till such time as reginald de courcy could be talked flattered and finessed into an affection for her which allowing leisure for the conquest of his attachment to her mother for his abjuring all future attachments and detesting the sex might reasonably be looked for in the course of a twelvemonth three months might have done it in general but reginald's feelings were no less lasting than lively whether lady susan was or was not happy in her second choice i do not see how it can be ever ascertained it is certain that to some considerable extent lady susan was a satire on several lady novelists of the period all jane austen's novels are more or less satirical from northanger abbey which is full of burlesque passages to persuasion in which they are so rare that it needs a hunt to discover any whether or not lady susan was intended to be taken more seriously than in jest it is a dull performance the whole plan and treatment of the book are artificial it was not jane's natural instinct or her finer art which was at work in its making so foreign is it to herself that if the manuscript had been found in some cupboard of a manor-house no occupants of which had been of known relationship to the austens i doubt if it would have been attributed to her by any one who had not made a meticulous comparison of its phraseology with her acknowledged works there is i think no surer evidence of jane's fine taste alike in character and in literature than that having brought this novel to completion she deliberately suppressed it had she sold it to a publisher and allowed it to run its chance of popularity like the rest of her finished novels we should have had to revise our views on her nature and judgment to a considerable extent as it is the fact that having written a poor novel of disagreeable tendency she recognized the unsatisfactory thing that she had done in time to cancel it it is much in her favor 
and justifies the opinion that whatever defects of subject or of treatment we may find in lady susan were condemned by its author it is for this reason that we need not regret the decision of her nephew and niece to publish many years after their aunt's death the book which she herself had withheld only let us never forget as we read it that it was cancelled by the author the watsons was produced as far as can be ascertained in that middle period of jane's life when after her father's resignation of the steventon living he was spending his few remaining years at bath with his wife and daughters having written three of her six novels in the nineties of the eighteenth century the six novels by which she chose to be judged at stevenson she produced nothing more of her best until at chawton in the early years of the nineteenth century she completed her life's work all her books that live by their own merits were written in the heart of the country the book that comes nearest to the commonest fiction of her period was chiefly written in a town which however staid and irreproachable in its tone at the present date was in her time a centre of worldliness and frivolity the rivals was first acted in the year of jane austen's birth but the picture it offers of bath society is almost as true of eighteen o two as of seventeen seventy five dress had changed much in the intervening years but in all else there seems to have been little change between the bath of sheraton the lover of elizabeth linley and the bath of sheridan the friend of the prince regent it was among lydia languishes and captain absolutes that jane austen walked in milsom street and danced at the assembly rooms in eighteen o two to five and it was in an atmosphere of social affectation and busy idleness that she found her powers unequal to any nobler performance than the account of the husband hunting and silly young women who angle for lord osborne and his friends the futilities of the watsons form a remarkable interlude between pride and prejudice and mansfield park the rural society into which jane austen takes us in all her novels marks a rapid development from the manners of the preceding age if we regard the squire western of fielding as representative of a considerable class of the country gentlemen of his time we may wonder how it is that no such rude disturber of the peace bursts in among the woodhouses and the dashwoods his nearest relation in jane's novels is sir john middleton and he with all his noise and ignorance is a quiet well-bred person in comparison with the rude father of the delicious sophia even the less rubicund and animal squire of the hardcastle species is here unknown and squire allworthy himself would have been strange in the drawing-rooms of mansfield park and pemberley or the parlours of longbourn and hartfield there is less change to be seen in the manners and tones of the women especially the younger women than of the men sophia and amelia would have used a few expressions perhaps that might have made emma stare and cry good god or the fine colour deepen on elizabeth's cheeks and marianne dashwood would have confided to eleanor her astonishment that such otherwise attractive girls should be so ignorant of the poets and of the proper arrangement of natural scenery had the girls become confidential on further acquaintance sophia might have wondered why elizabeth said so little about the appearance of her lover and so much about his intelligence but tom jones and booth 
would never have gotten on intimate terms with knightley or darcy or edward ferrars until these austin young men had drunk more port than anybody in james novels with the exception of john thorpe as described by himself could carry without disaster there are no heroes among these honest gentlemen of a hundred years ago wentworth has indeed won credit and fortune at sea bertram and knightley do nothing to entitle them to the name beyond marrying the heroine edward ferrars merely behaves properly in keeping faith with lucy as long as she wants him darcy is heroic in taking mrs bennet for a mother-in-law henry tilney makes fun of his chosen mate in a way that would have cost him her heart in a more conventional novel il y a des héros à mal comme en bien says rochefoucauld but of the evil-doing kind there are none here unless indeed the effrontery which with which after jilting marianne for a rich wife willoughby comes to her sister eleanor and asks for her sympathy for his sad fate or the coolness of wickham in the presence of the people he has wronged may be regarded as evidence of heroism it is to the wonderfully true presentation of the hearts and minds of girls that these novels chiefly owe their immense power of attraction even for readers who miss the greater part of the humour fanny price and eleanor dashwood are themselves but poorly endowed with humour and catherine morland only possesses it in the rudimentary way of a lively schoolgirl with how much of understanding how clearly and fully are the hopes and fears the innocent little plans of fanny and catherine the more matured and reasoned ways of eleanor shown to us without the least apparent effort the trustful reader nurtured on the successful fiction of our own time especially that of the last ten years during which english novelists have been able to indulge themselves and their public by the introduction of incidents and types of character which up to about the commencement of that decade would have secured the ban of the circulating libraries has been led to believe that sensual impulse plays as large a part in a woman's life as in a man's that such women as lady belliston and tom jones arabelle in le lit dans la vallee or the bologna of richard feverel exist and in great numbers is certain but they are not representative of woman balzac who was not much restrained by any fear of the libraries knew that many faceless wives so very common in french fiction and drama whatever they might be in life gave themselves to men their love for whom contained much less of sensuality than of other instincts esther the unhappy jewess of splendeur et misee de courtesan loves lucienne with an affection far more chaste than that which many a correct heroine is made to display for the man with whom she goes to the altar in the last chapter the mistresses of famous men as known to us from memoirs and histories have not generally been of a sensual nature aspasia most distinguished of them all was of the intellectual not the sensual type strangely indelicate as was madame du chatelet her relations with voltaire were based on affinity of literary taste and critical appreciation much more than on physical attraction even among the unintellectual women who have figured among the grand amoureuses of history the passion of the woman does not in most instances appear to have been of the coarser kind louise de la valliere 
is at least more typical of womanhood than barbara villiers emma woodhouse deeply distressed at the supposed intention of knightley to marry harriet smith feels that she cares not what may happen if he will but remain single all his life could she be secure of that indeed of his never marrying at all she believes she should be perfectly satisfied let him but continue the same mr knightley to her and her father the same mr knightley to all the world let donwell and hartfield lose none of their precious intercourse of friendship and confidence and her peace would be fully secured marriage in fact would not do for her marriage we know did for her very well and not at all so far as we have her story in the idiomatic sense in which words are commonly used but in this healthy maiden who could regard with equanimity a future wherein the man she liked best should never be more to her than a dear friend who dropped in for tea or supper we have an effective illustration of the relative insignificance of passion in jane austen's view of life emma woodhouse has near relations in eleanor dashwood and edward ferrars who after the marriage of lucy steele to robert ferrars had cleared away the only barrier to their own avowals of affection were neither of them quite enough in love to think that three hundred and fifty pounds a year would supply them with the comforts of life kitty and lydia bennett could simultaneously adore all the officers of a militia regiment but there was nothing of the all for love and all the world well lost nonsense about any of the agreeable women of jane austen's creation they were not to be captured by a man's attractions of mind and person in the way that millamont was by mirabel's nor even by the art of others as beatrice was one for benedick and he for her the names of millamont and beatrice were in the ancestral tree of elizabeth bennet but her pulses beat more regularly than theirs in the effect of mary crawford's charms on edmund bertram we may see some pale suggestion of such an awakening as that of robert orange in the school for saints who on meeting with bridget suddenly had found presented to him a mind and a nature in such complete harmony with his own that it seemed as though he were the words and she the music of one song but it was only a seeming in edmund's case and while we read jane austen our thoughts are rarely allowed to flow into a romeo and juliet channel for more than a few moments at a time the reawakening of wentworth's dormant love for anne elliot would have afforded to most lady novelists an opportunity for some fine romantic writing jane austen allows herself no romance in the matter the sea air at lyme has heightened anne's colour and a passing visitor her cousin as it happens is attracted by her appearance wentworth notices his glances of admiration and is reminded that she is charming when they came to the steps leading upwards from the beach a gentleman at the same moment preparing to come down politely drew back and stopped to give them way they ascended and passed him and as they passed anne's face caught his eye and he looked at her with a degree of earnest admiration which she could not be insensible of she was looking remarkably well her very regular very pretty features having the bloom and freshness of youth restored by the fine wind which had been blowing on her complexion and by the animation of eye which it had also produced it was evident that the gentleman 
completely a gentleman in manner admired her exceedingly captain wentworth looked round at her instantly in a way which showed his noticing of it he gave her a momentary glance a glance of brightness which seemed to say that man is struck with you and even i at this moment see something like ann elliot again this scene may be deficient in the sentiment that delights catherine morland's and marianne dashwood's but it is a bit of true observation of a familiar phrase of human folly archbishop waitley remarks that authoresses can scarcely ever forget that they are authoresses they seem to feel a sympathetic shudder at exposing naked a female mind elle se peignant en buste and leave the mysteries of womanhood to be described by some interloping male like richardson or merivaux who is turned out before he has seen half the rites and is forced to spin from his own conjectures the rest now from this fault miss austen is free her heroines are what one knows women must be though one can never get them to acknowledge it it is a striking proof of the little that was known of jane austen by her contemporaries that even four years after her death neither waitley himself nor the editor of the quarterly review knew how to spell her name the criticism that the mind brought up on modern fiction would be likely to make on the girls of jane austen would be the reverse of waitley's it would be that her chief defect in depicting woman's character was that she almost invariably did force the reader to spin from his own conjectures when the mysteries of the heart were the subjects of her pages the truth is divided i think between the archbishop and the supposed modern critic jane austen's heroines are true women admirably portrayed but they only represent a certain proportion of their sex it would never be suspected of elizabeth or eleanor or anne or fanny that there was southern blood in her veins there might have been a few drops no more in marianne's the feelings of the author are reflected in her most attractive characters she might have married again and again of that there can be small doubt and while for herself she shared dorothy osborne's opinion as to the essentials of conjugal happiness i fancy that she would have also agreed with dorothy's brother that all passions have more of trouble than satisfaction in them and therefore they are happiest that have least of them that indeed as we have already seen was very much the fault that miss bronte found in her as a novelist anne elliot comes nearer than any of her fellow heroines to dorothy osborne's ideal of the changelessness of affection the true union of hearts but save for her involuntary tears at musgrove's she kept her feelings under the most perfect control and never we may be sure tried to beat her convictions into the heads of her silly family or even of her faithful friend lady russell there were we may fairly believe not a few who would like to have been jane's chosen mate one such unhappy being seems as we read to be the actor in the little bit of serious comedy related with lively exaggeration in a letter written when she was twenty-five years old your unfortunate sister was betrayed last thursday into a situation of the utmost cruelty i arrived at ash park before the party from dean and was shut up in the drawing-room with mr holder alone for ten minutes 
i had some thoughts of insisting on the housekeeper or mary corbett being sent for and nothing could prevail on me to move two steps from the door on the lock of which i kept one hand constantly fixed elizabeth bennet was not more uncomfortable when her mother took kitty upstairs after breakfast in order that mr collins might have what he called the honour of a private audience with the elder girl dear ma'am elizabeth cried do not go i beg you will not go mr collins must excuse me he can have nothing to say to me that anybody need not hear i am going away myself but her mother's lizzie i insist upon your staying and hearing mr collins compelled her to remain with results for which we must ever be grateful to mrs bennet it is not clear however that mr holder was a suitor for jane we are left in doubt both as to his hopes and his demerits there is a little matter connected with the quarterly's two articles in praise of jane which is perhaps worth noting here gifford who was editor when both appeared was so warm a supporter of the prince regent that hazlitt one of gifford's beasts wrote in an open letter to him when you damn an author one knows that he is not a favourite at carlton house now the prince is said to have been so fond of jane austen's novels that he kept a set in each of his residences and it is unquestionable that in consequence of a suggestion that was equivalent to a command she dedicated emma to him you will be pleased to hear she wrote on april first eighteen sixteen to john murray the first who published the book that i have received the prince's thanks for the handsome copy i sent him of emma whatever he may think of my share of the work yours seems to have been quite right in the same letter she expresses her disappointment at the total omission of mansfield park in the quarterly's review of her work in the preceding autumn as to that review it is a curious fact that until lockhart's life of scott appeared waitley who wrote the eighteen twenty one article was credited with the authorship of the earlier review and it is still to be found against his name in the british museum catalogue not from the ignorance of the cataloguers but because he appears as author on the title page of a reprint of the article issued at Ahmedabad in eighteen eighty nine. End of chapter four.